listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, good morning, church. Please be seated. I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of conviction this morning, at least for me. I'm going to let you know today's passage is one. It is, for me, is extremely convicting. And then to see and hear from Dave and Mary, it makes me feel like things are so much easier for us here to not have a place to meet. They finally find one with no air conditioning, having to meet on a Sunday evening to a very small house with a family of seven across the street from a homeless camp. And so, man, but they're... Remaining faithful, I mean, it doesn't take but one person to be disappointed. I'm ready to quit. And uh, so it was great for me to hear from them this morning. So please be praying again for them. So this morning, I want to invite you to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm going to kind of set the background again of what we're doing over the next several weeks and where we were last week. Because we're starting a new series last week called The Blueprint for life, And we are focusing each week on a certain idea, but I began by making sure we understood the answer to this question. Because if we miss this or this is off, then everything else is going to be out of balance. It's going to be out of whack. And it was this, is what is, or really who is the church? And we looked at the Bible defines the church this way. That the church is the people of God, the body of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that it's the first fruits of the kingdom, the first examples in the midst of a sinful and a rebellious world. The church is described as a people, a unique group of people because they belong to God. They've been purchased with the blood of his son, that we're his own possession, and he says that we are even his treasure. We talked about why in the world is the church even here? What is the mission of the church? Because we have all these ideas of what the church is and what it should be doing. But the Bible tells us it's to go into the world, whether that's in East Texas or Seattle or around the world, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the whole creation, calling all people to faith, making disciples and glorifying God through his son. That we are to all one together. We are to bear fruit of the kingdom. To be example of God's kingdom. And increasing in our knowledge of who God is. And the last one was the purpose. Why is the church here? Why do we meet each and every week? And why are we trying to live the way that we should be living wherever we are? It's so that Jesus is worshipped and exalted to the glory of of the Father, and ultimately that God's saving power will be known to the ends of the earth. And the amazing thing is, is that it has always been the mission of the church. From the very moment it began, that was what the church was and its mission and its purpose, and it hasn't changed, and it will not ever change. And so I said this last week. That the church is not here to be everything I want it to be. And I've got a lot of expectations. I know you do too. 
And in the times of ministry in the church, man, there's some great seasons where everything's working and clicking and it all goes great and ministry seems easy. But there's also times where life is hard. Living for Christ is difficult. Things are not going to go the way we planned. But it's a good reminder that the church is not here to be everything I want it to be. The church is here to conform me and you to the mission of Christ. That's why it is here that it's to do all of this. And so last week we began by talking about in our blueprint for life that we are designed for eternity. That we are forever people, but we can lose sight of forever. We talked about that a forever mindset. We talked about and saw how it actually impacts every aspect of our lives. That this life, it is not to be lived as a destination like this is all there is. This life, all of it is to prepare us for the life to come. But when we forget that we are forever people, what we all do is that we begin looking at people and things and experiences of this world to bring us a satisfaction that they never can. It's just impossible. That's what happens when we look at this life as a destination instead of preparing us for something else. And so this morning, our topic, I want to say three things about it. First thing I want to talk about is that we are going to talk about something that I think us as a church For the most part, we do extremely well. And I'm excited about that. I'm proud of that. But we're going to talk about, I think for the most part, we do this extremely well. But it is something that we can easily lose. And we're going to see that played out in just a moment. Because it happened to the church in Corinth. And of all the things we're going to talk about... I think this morning's is the one thing that can point out what might actually be an idol in our lives more than the others. Today we're going to look at God's design for generosity. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and let me set the background. So all, before all the trouble that Paul experiences in Corinth with false teaching, the disunity in the church, before all of that, Paul was, was traveling Uh, through the churches of Asia Minor. And he he was uh, gathering an offering to take back to the Christians, the believers in Judea. The problem was there was an extreme famine in the land during when Emperor Claudius was there. And this famine was severe. So Paul sits out on a journey and he's collecting from all these other churches in Asia Minor to take back to these suffering Christians to help relieve that. So that is the background that Paul is writing, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So with that in mind, let's begin. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in their severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So when the Corinthian church began, they were an extremely generous church. They were one of the first ones to be about this relief that that Paul was collecting. But because of false teaching, because of disunity in the church, 
they had gotten away from that. And Paul is wanting to call them back to where they began. And to do this, Paul is using some churches in Macedonia as the example. It's going to be the churches of like Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And what he describes about them to me is mind-blowing and it is also convicting. Because notice he's going to say five things. He goes on in, or in those verses, he says this. The grace of God that has been given among those churches in Macedonia. So these churches, they gave and Paul was taking it back. But notice something interesting. He's talking about an offering. He's talking about a giving that these churches did. But that's not how he describes it. Doesn't say offering. He says the grace of God that has been given among those churches. I think the reason for that is this Macedonian giving is really God's grace being shown through them. That even the offering, he wants them to know it's so much bigger than just an offering. This is God's grace that is flowing through them. But notice there are two battles. First, they were severely afflicted. We're not told specifically really what that affliction is or what the problem was. But it means they were being crushed by life. Whether that was through the Roman government, whether we talked about last week, those in the church. If you were a, a Christian Jew, you're getting it from all sides. The Jews that are not following the way of Christ anymore, they're against you. The Roman government is against you. And they are crushed by life. But then they also have the battle of extreme poverty. That word extreme is where we kind of get the phrase that we would describe a deep sea expedition. So Paul is saying their poverty, it runs deep. They are down in the depths poor. So picture that church. They're being crushed by life and they are, Paul doesn't just say they're poor. He says they are extremely poor, deep down in the depths. That's hard for, I think, me to imagine. Because when I think of being poor, we often think of, well, I can't afford that piece of clothing. Or, uh, you know, there's this thing I want. Or I can't go eat at the place I really want to eat. That's kind of how I tend to think of what it means to be poor. But these churches in Macedonia, they were suffering from extreme poverty. And he says severe affliction. With that church in mind, notice the next thing he says about them. They were abundant of joy. So they're afflicted in all kinds of ways, and they're down in the depths poor. But for some reason, Paul sees that they have this abundance, an overflowing of joy. And that shocks me, because it does not take much for me to lose joy. I mean, all it takes is for me needing to stop and get gas because I'm running late. Or my kids do something, or they say something, or I forget to put the, I don't know, the, the bill in the mail. I mean, it doesn't take much for me to lose the joy. With these churches, they're being afflicted on all sides, suffering from extreme poverty, and they have an abundance of joy. But then notice what Paul says about them. They overflowed in a wealth of generosity. 
So if there was an ever an oxymoron, this one is it. Because they, he says they are down in the depths poor. But they are overflowing in their generosity with their wealth. Now Paul chooses his words very, very carefully. So he says they are extremely poor. But notice he does not say that they are generous with a little bit of money or the little bit that they have. He says, no, they are generous with their wealth. So which is it? Are they down in the depths poor or are they generous with their wealth? Which is it? I mean, we kind of have to choose. What is Paul saying? How can he have both of these things to be true? Because I think often we think of wealth or wealthy as someone that has a lot. Has more than maybe that they need. But Paul says that all the money, whether it is little or it is a lot, he says it is all wealth. Now how could Paul say they are generous with their wealth when they are deep down in the depths poor? Look at what he's going to say. Because they are describing their gifts Earlier as a grace of God. Meaning that whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. Paul says that every penny that you and I ever have. That is a gift. That we don't even deserve and we can never do enough to even earn that. So these Macedonians even though they are extremely poor. But they are being generous with the wealth that they have. I think this church, they probably had plenty to be frustrated with. I think that Ellis, they have many things that, that could be discouraging to them. Many things to be sorrowful about. But this church or these churches, they rejoiced and they gave. And that should be mind-blowing to us. But it's what happens next that's even more shocking in verse 3 and 4. Because look at it. So picture this church. They're being afflicted on all sides. Ministry is very difficult. Living for Jesus is extremely hard. And they are suffering from extreme poverty. For they gave according to their means. As I can testify, Paul says. And beyond their means of their own accord. The emphasis is they gave not just according to their means. He says beyond their means. And what that means is they are giving contrary to their ability. What Paul is showing us that this was a group of people that gave to the point that what would happen in their lives for the day after or the week after, they were going to have to depend on God to provide. In fact, they said, here it all is, the little I have. God, take and use it for the people in Judea that probably need it more than I do, not knowing where my next meal is going to come from. I wonder, have we ever given like that? But it, it gets even more mind-blowing. So a church being afflicted on all sides, deep down in the depths, poor, giving beyond their means, Notice what it says in verse 4. Paul says they were begging us 
They were begging us earnestly for the favor, the blessing of taking part in the relief of the saints. This church was begging Paul to let them give. Now, when that happens, I'm ready for Jesus just to come back. That this church has all this going against them. And Paul says they were begging us to let them help. What an amazing church that would be to be a part of. But these churches in Macedonia, they were begging to be a part of the relief to the saints. But I hope you're asking the question, how in the world does that happen? How in the world does a church that's afflicted on every side, deep down in the depths, poor, how in the world do they don't have very much they're giving beyond their means and they're begging to get to be a part of it? Well, verse 5 is going to show you the key. And this, and Paul even admits this. Paul says, and this, not as we expect. Paul says, I didn't even expect this. But the key, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The only way we would ever be able to get to that place is by first of all giving ourselves first to the Lord. And that phrase, literally, Ophi, literally, we use that term a lot in our house, literally means to place yourself on an altar. That is a picture of laying everything out there, not knowing what is going to happen. Giving my life is no longer mine. And once you know, that is one of the scariest and could probably be one of the most beautiful prayers we would ever pray is to sincerely say to God Lord take my life and do with it what you wish with no conditions no strings attached whatever it is I am yours because I think of David Mayer there's a lot of other easier places to live and do ministry one would be right here but this church is in Macedonia with all this. The only way that happens is they gave themselves first to the Lord. But church, I want you to know God doesn't actually need you to do that. God doesn't need you to give him your life. Just ask Paul and Jonah. But there is not a more terrifying or a more exciting thing than to fully and completely turn your life over to God. To say whatever you want. I will follow. And these Christians in Macedonia, that's what they were doing. You know what they learned? That when we know that our lives are not our own, then we will not think of any possession or any form of wealth as if it is ours. And these churches in Macedonia, they experienced this. They found out that it was easy to surrender the little that they may have. When they had already given their whole lives to the Lord. To them it was easy. I mean the little bit that I have. Man that's nothing. Because they would already given everything that they are to the Lord. So Paul now makes a transition back to the Corinthians. Because look at verse 6. Accordingly we urge Titus. That as he had started. So that he should complete among you this act of of grace. 
But as you notice the good things about them, they excel, he says, in everything. They're excelling in faith, in the way they talk, in the way they believe, in the way they live. They're growing in their knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. They're excelling at all of those things. But he stops and says, but see that you excel in this act of grace also. This act of grace isn't just giving money. This act of grace is laying our lives on the altar, asking God to do with it what he desires, and then giving in a way that it is overflowing. So Paul turns to them and says, "This once you were doing this, just go back to where you were, where you started. Remember what that was like and continue in that. Paul says, continue to focus and strive in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge. But strive just as hard in this act of grace, of living generously with your wealth. And he says, that is an act of grace. And what we realize that generosity, you know what it actually is? It's actually a sign. Generosity is a sign of a person this heart is completely captivated by Jesus. But notice how Paul goes about this in the next couple of verses. I say this not as a command. That's no way to create generosity. Paul knows he can't just get up and tell people, you know what, you just need to give more. Because he knows that will never last. He knows that will never work. He knows that any kind of external motivation will never be enough. But look at the motivation. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by this poverty might, became, might become rich. That the motivation is actually remembering the most generous act the world has ever known. And God the Father giving his son and Jesus who was rich beyond anything we could imagine. But becoming poor. So that we could become rich as he is. And he goes on, and in this matter I give my judgment. I give this advice. This actually benefits you. Who a year ago you started not only to do this work, but you also had a desire to do it. That's who you once were. So now finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have so this is what i want us to hear this morning that generosity it is a sign and these people these believers in macedonia they had this they had a heart that was completely captivated by jesus but the key to being generous is that we must first give our lives to christ that our lives and anything that we have are actually his first but i want to show us how this applies to so much more than money. 
I made a list this week of all the things, not all of them, I ran out of time, a list of things we actually can be generous with. And I, I think some of these, we are. So here's my list. I can actually be generous with my words of praise, of encouragement. I can be generous with my ears. I can take time to really listen to people instead of moving on to the next thing I need to do. I can be generous with my time. When we give our entire lives to Christ, when we lay them all on the altar, we actually see that even time is a gift. And there are all kinds of ways that we can be generous with our time. All kinds of ways around here, even on a Sunday morning. There's things coming up on September the 3rd. I'm asking people to come out and help uh, sling some nachos at a football game. It's giving time. We can be generous with our invitations. Man, and simply inviting people. Man, come to church with me. Come and experience a great group of people. I can be generous in inviting people to tailgates. You know, there are people that are actually here that are plugged in and investing and serving that that was their first exposure to us as a church was simply through a tailgate. I can be generous with my affections. We can be generous with forgiveness. Generous with patience. And some of us might be a little poor in that area. I am. What about being generous by giving people the benefit of the doubt? Not jumping to false conclusions or assuming the worst. We can be generous with that. Generous with our energy, going the extra mile. Generous with our care for other people. I want you to know, I, I didn't witness it, but I heard about an instance that happened this week by one of our members. And she was over the top generous with her care for someone. We'd be generous with our homes. Life groups are going to be starting back. Many are going to be opening up our homes, inviting people over just for the sense of getting to know them better. And we can be generous with our lives by investing our lives in other people. And we could probably think of 50 other things to add to this list of, of things that we can actually be generous with. But this only happens when we first lay our lives on the altar. Because that is the only way we will see everything as a gift or a grace from God. And once you know, church, God has designed us to be people that are known by their generosity. In fact, more than any other group that might exist, the church, God wants us to be a people that are known by our generosity. So here's the challenge this morning. What area of your life do you want to be or you know you should be more generous with? Maybe it's with your words or with your prayers, your money, your energy, your time. That what area of your life are you still holding on to that you're not quite willing to lay on the altar yet? I want you to know that's a pretty good indication of what we are still holding on to as an idol. 
Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.